and obedient vassals. Welcome to Weekly Dose Red Pill Politics. It is February 11th, halfway through the month of February already. Um, got some good stuff on the horizon here. I told you last week we're going to be doing some shows on uh, gardening coming up pretty soon. So I'm uh, working on that in the background. But I got some really good stuff planned for you here today. Um, it's uh, getting around that time for the one-year anniversary to the uh, horrible events in East Palestine, uh, Pennsylvania. So I got some special guests on the show today. Uh, they're going to be joining us who um, I actually met during the D.C. convoy. That's really the root of this group. Uh, it's now a, a nonprofit uh, 501c3 charity. And it started out as uh, part of our group that came down from the northeast uh, and honkered down in uh, Hagerstown, uh, Penn, uh, Maryland, uh, in preparation for the convoy to D.C. And, man, what a that was one heck of an experience, boy. I, um, it is amazing when that many people come together and there's an energy involved and in, uh, I keep using the word organic and movement uh, recently uh, because those are things I'm looking for. Uh, I'm not tying my my future to characters and celebrities and individuals, other people any longer. I'm looking for what is an invisible energy that exists, the type of energy that creates a movement. All right, a movement is often, and this is one of the most important features of a movement. It is many times uh, leaderless in the point that there's a single head that can be chopped off. It's about force multiplication is turning uh, spectators into doers and leaders in their own respect. When they see a problem, they become individual problem solvers in the movement without having direct connection pretty much knows what the rest of its individual parts are likely to do. <laughs> and, and this is a, a great thing when it comes together and uh, starts, um, I guess, taking on a life of its, uh, its own. Uh, but what a cool thing. Anyways, we get down there. A whole group of us got together from the northeastern states and figured we'd uh, work together to get down and rendezvous with the rest of the convoys. And uh, sure enough, we did. We had great communication, great organization. Everyone got down there safely, uh, despite 
all the typical jackassery that you get with activism these days. But uh, we got there and we were loaded for bear, man. It was incredible. We had, oh, man, I bet we could have hunkered down there for a good six months on the supplies that uh, went with us en route. And we also, we had so much that it was staged all over the place. But um, I'm not going to... get into all that now because i think we're going to talk about some of that because i'm going to be you know having our guests take us right from the beginning the very beginning which was at uh dc convoy uh to now where they were at the recent convoy down at the border uh they brought a lot of supplies and things in uh for the people in east palestine uh so we're going to talk about the uh, the evolution what started as a, a very organic impromptu spur of the moment thing um and uh longevity came out of it which is a a a must we have got to stop having these moments where the patriots of this country get together remember uh, looking back at the um you know the tea party all right uh the end the fed audit the fed from the ron paul movement you know, so many uh, good groups of people came together. And, you know, an event happened, you know, either an election came and went or a crisis came and went. And then the people fell away. Why are we not keeping our numbers together? Every time something gives us a good jab, wakes us up, puts us in the streets and meeting and having uh, organizational meetings. And, you know, when that happens... You know, why do we let that fall apart? We got to stop letting that stuff fall by the wayside. Maintain those communications and those teams. And that's what we got to do. And in, in everything, I don't care what your thing is. Everyone's got their pet project. And I, you know, I, I good for, good on you. Do the best you can with uh, what you got. Uh, but do nothing but build partnerships and alliances and, and grow. Don't ever let a movement swell where you got lots of patriots around you and let them wander back to slumber somewhere. Okay? Let's, let's keep our numbers growing because it is going to take a, a collective pushback. I'm careful about how often and how in what context I word that, use that word collective. But in this case, it, we do have to uh, um, unite. But like I said, leaderless opposition, force multiplication. You know, we got to take uh, the skills and the things that we've learned as seasoned activists, instill that in others quickly, and get them up in leaders in their own respect. So when something needs to be done, when something major comes upon us, you know, the team is already halfway there, and it, you know, and, and things will really happen so much quicker, and with so much more focus and organization. Um, anyways, I don't want to uh, get blabbing too much on that. I hope everyone had a wonderful week. It is starting to look a little bit like spring up here. I'm, I think I'm getting a little bit spoiled. Last few days has been just absolutely beautiful out. It's been in the 40s, beautiful sun, very few chemtrails. It was absolutely beautiful hints of spring, but we're probably going to get clobbered with some more snow. Uh, anyway, we're moving along. We're going to have plenty of good gardening stuff coming up, though, so be ready for that. Start snooping around now, getting your seed, heirloom only, none of that frankenfruit. All right, we're going to be starting some seed swaps. 
Uh, we've got some great links that were left from uh, one of our callers in the last show. Um, let's see if we can build on this. All right, we're going to have some good, good uh, guests come on, and we're going to uh, dig deep. So bring your friggin' notebook, people. We're not going to be just talking about putting seeds in a damp napkin. And, you know, that, that's all well and good, uh, you know, for those that really have never grown anything before. But I'm going to assume that some of you have some background knowledge. And we're going to start diving into things like soil chemistry and pH, um, integrated pest management, things like that. So um, be ready for it. It's going to be uh, some cool stuff. Um, right now, I want to jump right in. Uh, to this week's interview, I see our guests are on deck and ready to go. I'm going to give a very quick and brief introduction and then ask my guests to come in and uh, fill in some of the blanks here for us. Uh, but joining us uh, for the uh, first half of the show is my good friend Sharice and Reg, who uh, joined us in the convoy down to D.C. And Sharice, uh, uh, after, I think, uh, I don't know if it was three or four days down there in uh, Maryland at Hagerstown, uh, earned her uh, her current nickname, which everyone knows her by, is Soup Mama. All right. Sharice uh, and Reg, welcome to the show. Glad to see you guys made it today. Thanks so much for having us, Dave. All right. We got Sharice. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Hi, guys. How are you? All right. Good deal. Hey, I gave uh, just a very brief uh, once over, but I want to spend some time on uh, how it is that we came uh, to meet, um, and how quickly uh, things organized. I was uh, really shining some light on the importance of uh, the difference between uh, some of these things that uh, uh, pop up in our lives and the occurrence of a true movement. And that a DC convoy had all the makings of a movement and the energy that was on the ground. I was hoping you could uh, kind of describe that that energy and if you felt that it was different from other events and things that you've done and uh you know talk about how that came together because uh what you guys did you were kind of the the hub of uh, a bunch of spokes and you really did pull off uh, a, a pretty amazing feat down there and then just fine-tuned it as you evolved but uh let me give you the floor uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves. What, first of all, even got you involved in activism? Usually something uh, prods people awake and say, I just can't take no more, and they jump in. So what got you involved in, in uh, this level of activism? And then let's uh, go right into how uh, we met and Soup Mama uh, became a thing. Go ahead. It's all yours. Charisse, I'll let you uh, speak first. Okay. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Sharice. Um, uh, as Re as uh, Red Pill, as Dave said there, um, I am more commonly known as Soup Mama at this time. Uh, but I am a mom of five, and I hail from Pennsylvania. And I got started in activism because COVID came to my front door. And uh, like many others, you know, we had businesses shut down in our state, and we had all these masking requirements and all of these things. And um, <clears throat> I did not like it coming into my family. I didn't like it coming to my door. I didn't like it being in the schools. And so I decided to do something about it. So that's really how I got started in my activism. It was because it came to my front door, and I could no longer ignore it. Um, 
So I'll, I'll start there and let Reg give his little intro as to why he got started. Well, I was inspired by the Canadians and their end the mandates movement up there, and I was following that kind of closely. And then, um, you know, they had started the organization uh, to do a similar convoy across the continent here in the United States, which really got my attention and caught the attention of millions of Americans across the country. So as I learned more about what they were going to do and where they were leaving from, uh, other organizations kind of coalesced, and uh, I got involved with the Northeast uh, Convoy to Hagerstown, Maryland. Um, You know, driving down, it was so inspirational to see so many people along the uh, the way on the highways and byways uh, on the overpasses with their American flags and signs cheering us on each rest stop that we took we were met with people that cooked meals for us uh, the patriotic spirit I hadn't experienced since nine eleven so um, you know we got down to Hagerstown um, it was disorganized at first. Um, uh, I had met Sharice uh, and another gentleman named Jason down in Hagerstown. They started with a camp stove and a coffee urn. And they were serving coffee and cooking soup down in Hagerstown for people that were, uh, quote-unquote, in the North 40, which was a part of Hagerstown Speedway where it was the back end of uh, all of the people that had gathered down there. And I can tell you there were thousands of people that had gathered. Sharice uh, uh, grew the kitchen um, using the products that were donated by Americans all across the country um, to feed the people that were all in the back 40. And then sometimes the convoy, when they got back late, from D.C., she would be cooking uh, late into the uh, night uh, for the people that came back late, you know, from the convoy, um, because the main kitchen would close down right after dinner, and these people would, would come back hungry. That, would you say some of that uh, initial um, uh, uh, confusion and disorganization in part, and I think it's symptomatic of uh, what you said as you described the energy and the people on the overpasses as we were going down. Um, but the disorganization was because there was a mountain of supplies and the people back here for those uh, days in that week or so prior to the actual convoy, everyone was out there. Teams were forming up here in all of our states. And the donations came in in such quantities that we actually had to stage it and, and put the stuff off to the side and only bring down a, a certain amount. But it was due to the the immediate outpouring and, and generosity of the public back home, wherever we came from. Because I, I saw from all states donations coming in from, you know, food and toiletries, cash cards, you name it. It, it just poured in at a rate that we had a very hard time controlling, and that showed up uh, down there in uh, Maryland. But would you say that's due in part to the uh, the incredible outpouring from what we saw back home? 
Absolutely. Uh, anything that you could possibly have needed um, was available to you free of charge. The, this organization um, came in the piles and piles of donations that we received, and then people had to go in and organize all of that and, um, you know, categorize things, you know, so that people could, could then go in and find what they needed. But uh, it was like a department store that you could just go in and get anything that you, you needed. The, the outpouring was amazing. It really was. The American yeah. people, I, I think, really, really rallied behind the truckers because <clears throat> the truckers at the time, when they were moving across the country, what, what I noticed was a general sentiment in, in the United, not just the United States, but across the globe, of a hopelessness at that time, uh, where everybody was being, having all of these restrictions imposed upon them, their families, their businesses, their homes, uh, who they could, uh, how many people they could have at their dinner table for Thanksgiving, for example. Um, and, and a lot of people were feeling that, that hopelessness. And when they saw the convoy coming and rolling and moving towards D.C. and gaining uh, more and more people, it created a hope and an excitement, and, an, and people wanted to help. They just found themselves in a position where they were like, how can I help? And those donations that came in were absolutely astronomical. Uh, we had donations under the grandstands. We had donations in a building. We had our donations in the back 40 under a tree. Um, and we, um, we did. We, we cooked for, for thousands and thousands of people. And, and it was a really, really neat thing because, again, that energy there was so excited because we, we all were there because we were like, wow, we found the people out there that are like us, that are tired of this. And like I said, it, it provided a lot of hope. And the people at home were excited to be able to give us the, the necessary supplies so that we could uh, stand up for them. And it was just an amazing, amazing time in history. Yeah, I, I mean, you guys secured everything. There was a guy there with a trailer with a pig roaster. Uh, easily could have cooked for three or 400 people at a time. Uh, a reefer truck. He had an actual freezer truck there, which makes sense. It was a convoy, but uh, nonetheless... The scope of what was done um, from a handful of volunteers was absolutely incredible, and you obviously saw the uh, the strength and the benefit of that because you know the convoy uh, in D.C. came and went, uh, but you guys uh, stayed together. Um, explain what it is you got going now because you've done a number of dispatches down to Pennsylvania to East Palestine. Uh, let's get into that, uh, that evolution once, you know, you springboard from the D.C. convoy and what happened there. Well, there well, was a um, core. Yeah. Go I, ahead, Red. There was a, there was a core uh, group of people that were instrumental in the, the soup kitchen. Um, and, you know, uh, Soup Mama had been given a platform uh, to work from, and uh, the support people coalesced around Soup Mama, and we stayed even after they went back to California, and that continued even when we went all back home. We stayed together as a group. Uh, we started to uh, put together an organization. Um, we filed for our nonprofit status 
our incorporation in New York State. So now we're a bona fide uh, corporation, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation, um, and we're still out doing you know, good works, uh, philanthropic work, as well as uh, promoting patriotic rallies internationally, actually. Wow. Yeah, I know you guys were down uh, for the um, convoy to the southern border there just last week. In fact, uh, I did some streaming where I uh, grabbed Oreo Express because he was up in the front and you guys were uh, the caboose uh, with a whole convoy in front of you. So I grabbed your stream and his and uh, put them up there. Uh, you guys were uh, tracking that pretty good. Do, do you find the same energy and, uh, um, you know, down there in the southern border with the locals down there that you did here on the East Coast? Well, what I'm going to say about the Take Our Border Back convoy, um, the energy uh, with that versus the energy of Hagerstown, the People's Convoy, for example, um, there was, so, so when I talked about the People's Convoy, I talked about how Americans were finding hope. They were, they were literally hopeless, and they were on a journey to find hope. Um, and I, I think that's a really important thing to remember uh, with the People's Convoy was it really did spark, uh, really truly sparked a, a grassroots movement um, in a way where a lot of these, these amazing groups formed out of there, um, ours, of course, being one of them, but with the Take Our Border Back convoy, instead of um, searching for hope, I feel like that convoy was more uh, the people that went were the ones carrying hope. Instead of, of searching for it, they were saying, hey, we represent all these people. Uh, they, they, we, there, was a sense, there was more of a sense of organization, a more of a sense of, this is what we're going to do. We're going to show people that we can stand in solidarity. We can stand united. We can do this in a peaceful assembly uh, without, you know, uh, all of the controversy that was uh, surrounding this convoy. Obviously, there was a lot of media attention saying, oh, you know, it's going to be a civil war. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. Um, but, again, the people that were, were traveling on this convoy to Texas this time were more focused. Uh, we were more goal-oriented, knowing, look, uh, the world is watching us right now, and uh, we were all very serious about that responsibility this time. So, again, I think it was more instead of searching for hope, we were bringing hope. We were bringing that awareness. We were very clear about our mission. We were very clear about how we wanted to approach it this time. And I think it was a, a really great, you know, because we had that previous convoy, and you did have a lot of people uh, from the Hagerstown convoy show up for the Take Our Border Back convoy, which in turn I think helped that one run a little bit smoother as well, a little yeah. bit more organized. Uh, but it was it was a different feeling. Again, like I said, it was instead of searching for hope, it was it was bringing that and showing everyone, yes, we can do this. Yeah, they they were very clear right uh, out of the gate, uh, and and I give them credit for this is uh, defining themselves. Because if you leave that vacuum there, your enemies and detractors will define you uh, themselves, and the media will too. So they did a very good job of compartmentalizing that and keeping creative control over what their mission was, what their goal was, and uh, putting that out there. But it was, uh, you know, from what I saw, and 
uh, even though they were that focused, there was still a lot of political entropy and unknowns out there because there was, you know, groups and individuals that were purporting to go down and mix in with a crowd. So it's it's not the typical, you know, it isn't like it was back in the 60s and the 70s when there were protests out there. You kind of knew for the most part who was involved, although intelligence was involved in those quite a bit too, the feds. But, you know, nowadays, the the virtue signaling from a political party can cause those extreme elements out there to self-activate. They don't need marching orders. They just need to know that uh, they, it's time to be angry and there's activity in your area. In this case, you know, this convoy. And it has the attention of the globalists. This is, a, you know, part of a larger thing that we can you know, talk about for another two hours. Uh, but, you know, the globalists have a geopolitical plan and what goes on here in the United States is just one of the pieces on the board. Uh, but they're in that phase now where they're surging our country and in, in, invading our country. They're, they're just trying to do it in an institutionalized way that seems to be anointed by the UN. But we really are looking at an invasion phase from the globalist point of view is going to have a lot of domestic problems. So, um, you saw uh, hope uh, was was brought to the uh, border again here. Um, I, I don't want to miss out on talking about East Palestine. We can uh, uh, do that in the second half of uh, uh, the hour. We're just about coming up on the halfway point um, for the hour number one. But to to round off this uh, first segment with you, um, before we jump into East Palestine. Um, you know, again, what was was that same camaraderie where the Americans in the southern border, because they go through different stresses down there than we do here on the East Coast. But is there still that spark of Americanism that exists in the Patriots down there? I mean, is there a brotherhood that exists around the country, you think, from uh, visiting the locals in Texas, Arizona area? mingling with the east coast up here during the other convoy um what do you think oh absolutely um everywhere we went on the convoy to texas uh we had a lot of support on overpasses very reminiscent of hagerstown uh and the the people's convoy and it was a beautiful beautiful thing to see these folks um literally all up and down the east coast all the way across our our southern border they're going through um, Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana. Um, there, like I said, we had amazing, amazing patriots out, uh, honks from the road everywhere, thumbs up. As a matter of fact, I think the entire drive across the country, I only had two freedom fingers, which is absolutely astounding because when we were doing the D.C. runs, obviously there was a lot more opposition and a lot more division amongst the, the people. But when we were out on the roads, no matter where we stopped, whether I was fueling up, I had people coming up to me saying, are you going to the Texas border? Good for you. We're so happy you're representing us. Um, you know, and they would say, well, how do I, you know, how do I follow along? Uh, so many people were getting engaged this time around. And, and I found it to be really astounding that the sheriffs, everything, we had sheriff escorts in Texas, 
Uh, I love the Texas Sheriff's Department. They were awesome. They would flash their lights and, and everything for us as we drove by. They shut down roads and, and facilitated the convoy to easily move through all of the different towns. They had whole towns out, moms, dads, kids, grandpas, you name it, nieces, nephews with their flags and their banners and their signs. Um, so much love and support from down south. They were so grateful to have all of us there. As a matter of fact, we, we had a rally in Dripping Springs, Texas uh, that I, I did, of course, live stream. We had Sarah Palin there that night, Ted Nugent, uh, Lara Logan, among other speakers. No, and she, um, Wasn't she, man? She was just dropping bombs out there. <laughs> oh, that was a phenomenal rally. There was some very hard-hitting facts. Uh, some some really, really hard-hitting realities to the situation that, that we're in. But again, the, the outpouring of these people, and when we left Dripping Springs, uh, the people of the community, and this is just a very, very small community, actually had put together these beautiful gift bags uh, for all of the participants of the convoy, not just the drivers, but the passengers as well, the people that were facilitating the traffic, all of those things. And it was this wonderful gift bag with snackies and um, uh, some mementos and things for the road. And it was just, it was so touching because these these people, I mean, there was a, a card in there that, that basically said, thank you, truckers, for, for coming down here and showing your support with us. Um, you know, all of Texas thanks you. And it was just absolutely amazing. I mean, I, I cried like every other day. Because it was such a beautiful thing to see all of that outpouring and all of that support. Now, did any of that get out in uh, the press? What was the um, activity of the press? Was any of the mainstream there? Or were they just opportunistic when the governors got together? Um, so during the uh, actual rally itself, that the, the final day, February 3rd, the big rally at uh, the Children's Ranch, I counted at least... 15 giant cameras that belong to different legacy media. So they okay. were all over. Um, Hold that, Todd. we got to go into a, a break here. You guys stay with us, and uh, we'll be right back in a few moments. You are listening to Red Pill Politics, and this is the Republic Broadcasting Network. Hit that share button. We'll be right back with Reg and Sharice. Supama on Joe. Stay tuned. Is it conspiracy? Do shadow hands run democracy? The edge of speak of a lie. Shrouded in secrets and mysteries. Bloodlines of history, they sit at the top. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. 
Are you sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for truth, liberty, and balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no hidden agendas, no corporate funding, and we do not sell, trade, or give away any of your information. Our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits. So please, check out our site. It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at TLBTalk.com and join the social media revolution. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Email tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. HempPaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at RepublicBroadcasting.org and visit HempPaste.com slash RBN. Welcome back, February 11th already, and we are joined with Soup Mama. They are a newly formed nonprofit, started, uh, its roots are in the D.C. convoy, and they're out there doing good things all over the place right now. But before we jump back into that interview, 
couple of things. Number one, hit that share button out there. All right. If you're watching the live stream on the Rumble, uh, please do share that around. Get other people involved in watching and asking questions. That would be awesome. Give us a thumbs up. Um, do head over to republicbroadcasting.org. We've got programming there seven days a week to feed your brain. There's a one-click player on every page of the site, so even progressives can listen. Good stuff. All right, and hit that donation button on your way out because we are listener-funded. I can talk about weaponized vaccines and pedophiles and things like that. I can share that information with you here. You hear that stuff because of you. All right, so uh, give big, give small, whatever you can do. There's specials there every month, uh, whether it's a book of the month. Uh, last month, January, you missed it. There was a great handmade quilt of the Confederate battle flag and a bunch of other goodies. You really missed out, but it's a new month. Go over there, uh, check back off, and support the network. And uh, I'd love to have you on my mailing list. And you can do that just by going to redpillpolitics.tv and subscribing yourself to my other snarky musings. How's that? That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, let's get back to the interview. We got Sharice uh, and Reg with us. Uh, Soup Mama. If you're out on the Internet, do a search for Soup Mama official, and you'll find them. Uh, can you guys, uh, uh, first, before we go on, how do people uh, find you? Can you uh, uh, give us the link over the air, and can you also post that in the text chat? Okay, so you you can actually type Soup Mama Official into any search engine, and you will find all of our social medias. Uh, but I am going to type our website in. It's soupmamaofficial.com, all one word, guys. And uh, you can find that website. It will direct you to all of our other social media pages and what we have going on at this time. But we are on quite a few social media platforms. Uh, we have a uh, our most active platforms are Facebook and YouTube. But we have X, we have Rumble, we have Gab, we have. Um, oh my goodness. I just forgot. I just blanked. Oh, a TikTok. We have a TikTok, too, and Instagram. (laughs) Well, you know, there was an ad just during the commercial, if you checked, and I went and looked on the network because I've got a page over on tlbtalk.com. You guys should put something up there as they are very free speech friendly. You'll find that you can talk about anything, share all kinds of valid information that you'd like over there. You should create an account on TLB as well. Now, let's yeah, jump we'll into, into East Palestine. All right. That that was one horrible situation. And uh, I, I'm glad you're still involved because it seems that the, the rest of America has forgotten all about it already. I swear, Americans are like five-year-olds. All you got to do is jingle some car keys or something. And they're, they forgot all about the Hillary Clinton emails. They forget about all these other serious crimes. And they're off right now. I, you know, where's the attention on the people in Palestine? Because things are not really all better there. Um, walk us through that from, you know, when you got involved right after the accident and what improvements uh, have you seen between then and now? So if you'll indulge me, Dave, um, just a recap for your listeners real quick. On February 3rd at about 8.55 p.m., a Norfolk Southern train number ninety or thirty-two. It consisted of hundred and forty-one cars. 
and it experienced an axle wheel bearing failure that resulted in a derailment of 38 cars, 11 of which of those cars were carrying hazardous materials. Now, five of those cars were carrying vinyl chloride, monomer, BCM, all right, and that resulted in a spill and a fire, all right. Then on, on February 6th, three days after the train derailed and caught fire, the officials in Ohio said that they were in fear of an explosion from these toxic flammable gases, and they were recommending a vent and burn operation. Um, now, if you dig a little deeper, Dave, it's interesting that this uh, gentleman named Paul Thomas, and he's the vice president and the manufacturer of oxyvinyls, he said that the tanks did not breach and all of the pressure release devices were. All right, so there was no danger of a blevy, what they call a blevy. Um, Thomas said that the company uh, talked with Norfolk Southern and all of its emergency response contractors after the derailment, and they made it clear that based on their expertise of the chemical properties, that stabilized BCMs would be unlikely to spontaneously polymerize. You know, so, um, you know, all of this information was kept from the fire chief and some of the decision makers that went and did this vent and burn operation. Now, Keith Drabick is the chief for East Palestine's volunteer fire department, and he was the one who made the final decision, along with Governor DeWine, to vent and burn these chemicals. He said that Norfolk Southern never told him what oxyvinyls had advised and that he didn't or they didn't believe that polymerization was occurring. And Drabick even mentioned that he, quote-unquote, felt kind of blindsided when it came time to make the call on the vent and burn. He said he was met by the CEO and several other members, and one of the members said that he had 13 minutes to make that decision on whether or not they were going to vent and burn because they were running out of daylight. He said that he felt very overwhelmed by that approach. And, um, so you know, they're saying, then, that they're saying that would have uh, spontaneously combusted overnight. Is that what their rationale was, that they were losing daylight, couldn't make it through the evening to think about this? Well, there were some calculations that the temperature was rising in one of the cars, all right? So they had said that they had a cushion of about 15 degrees before this one tank car uh, could have exploded. That's what Trent Conaway, who was the mayor of East Palestine, said. You know, so that they, they had daylight and it gets dark. I'm thinking when the sun stops beating on that tanker, that the temperature is going to trend towards going down. That, that's uh, what I think I when mean, it gets dark, right? Yeah, that would be, you know, one take on it. I think that they were, you know, uh, they wanted to pressure the decision makers into making a quick decision. You know, so, you know, uh, the daylight and the temperatures and, you know, the time pressure that were put on the decision makers you know, 
they all reached this consensus that the blevy would be much more damaging than the vent and burn. So they decide to go ahead, as, as your audience understands, they decide to go ahead and do this vent and burn. So it, but they didn't. Before you go on into that, describe to me again so I have this straight in my head what the the command structure was. Who was in charge? I mean, did Hazmat and OSHA show up, uh, FEMA? I mean, who were the ones that uh, would have handled the notifications that came in through the chemical companies, through the, uh, the train company, um, you know, the chain of custody? That, um, what, H, uh, I forget what they're called. Um, uh, the health and safety forms that travel with all these hazardous chemicals, whether they're in a tanker like that or individual uh, boxes inside of a laboratory, all have these data sheets that track them. And, and it's for this purpose so that if you have a problem, is there a fire? Can you use water on it? Uh, is there What is the combustion point with respect to oxygen uh, levels, things like that? are all in that but what was the command structure before i lose my question um did you yeah. know obviously the, the governor and uh, uh, the, uh the chief you said the local chief i think fire chief was uh the two at the top that made the final decision who from the federal government was the intermediaries between the chemical company and the governor well my my understanding and my research uh, indicates that it was probably uh, more so the uh, Norfolk Southern Executive Command there um, and the mayor, Trent Conaway, the governor, Mike DeWine, and the fire chief, Keith Dravit. And, and um, how those... far did the warnings from the chemical company, how far did they make that? Where did that stop well, they... They made, they made it as far as Norfolk Southern, you know, as far as my research, uh, you know, uh, tells me that, um, you know, that wasn't shared with the fire chief and that wasn't shared with the uh, governor until after the effect. So it sounds like they so, basically just wanted to blow the mess up and get the rail open again. Well, that's that's the crux of it, because if you remember correctly, they didn't just vent and burn the one car that they were concerned about. They vent and burned all five cars. They dumped 115,000 pounds of vinyl chloride and other chemical compounds into trenches and then lit them on fire. So, you know, it wasn't just, you know, okay, we're going to be concerned about this one car exploding and the potential for shrapnel to be spread over a mile radius. No, it was let's vent or let's vent and burn all of these cars, some of which were already the relief valves were working just fine, you know. Um, but this was the most expedient way to deal with the materials that were involved and get the rails back running, you know. That's my personal opinion. It kind of seems so, that way, because they do lose a lot of money, uh, you know, shutting down because that rail is traveled every day. Um, and at the same time, all these loads are a big insurance scam. Those loads are fully insured, so they're, no one's going to lose a dime on that, on the product itself. It is insured. So... I, I think this, I don't know, 
It, it, I think yeah. it's criminal. I think what happened is uh, crimes that have been committed here are through omission of sharing this uh, relevant information. People should be in jail. Um, I don't know if people actually died down there. I know a lot of people were complaining about being sick, but what did what what did your senses tell you when you first landed down there the first trip down yeah well you know these the, the burn produced you know huge plumes of hydrogen chloride and phosgene gas you know and then if you remember the weather turned a little bit and it rained all right and then when you mix those chemical compounds with water it creates hydrochloric acid. So now we have dioxins that build over time and cause cancer that attach themselves to the soot and traveled, you know, miles and miles that settled in lakes and reservoirs and, and farmlands, you know, and then that impacts livestock, which impacts the food chain. So, and I think you know, no, ri- I'm sorry. It's really ahead, important. Teresa. I'm sorry. I just really think it's important to note for all the viewers, while we talk about these dioxins, um, please understand that these are forever chemicals that are bioaccumulative, which means they once they enter the body, they never leave. So these chemicals, these poisons are being ingested and inhaled and all these other things by these residents, the animals, um, and all of that, and they never go away. So that is something very important as Reg is discussing some of these things, that we understand that what was done there is permanent. Right, yeah. And it's permanent damage. Too. Um, and, and, you know, I, myself, I come from a, I, I have a soil science uh, background. I, I'm a little more familiar with uh, how chemicals, uh, contaminants move in the soil, in the water, um, and there's so many variables out there. And as I listen to the press and even those that claim to be in the know uh, report on this, I'm thinking, oh, my God, they're going to easily paint over this in a short amount of time. Our short memories are going to forget about how uh, impactful this was. And they're just going to paint over it. But these chemicals, you know, they may be one thing inside of a tanker. But as they degrade and change forms, like PVC, is when you buy it new, it's almost inert. It doesn't, you know, rot or any, doesn't rust. Um, but in about 30 years, it begins to decompose. And its breakdown constituents, those partially broken down complex molecules, many times are much more toxic than the original. So how this stuff reacts um, on the surface of the water is going to be entirely different than how it reacts down in the, the anaerobic sediments. And, and I mm-hmm. point to things like uh, Roundup, which is often used in lakes and ponds. You know, almost everyone who goes to a lake or a pond has got a, a beach, a public beach at it. Every once in a while, I see a sign that says, you know, don't swim for two days. Uh, we treat it for weeds. Well, when you dig a little bit deeper... That chemical does photodegrade in 48 hours in a water column. But when they throw that chemical in and it's attached to clay pellets and it rushes through the water column down into the root zone of these weeds they're trying to kill, it's not in the water column. It's in the sediments. And then when you read the information, the data sheets on on its uh, reactive period in anaerobic sediments, and it's now 10 months 
So kids, after 48 hours, wade into the to the mud and the muck of a, a pond that they can swim in, but they soak this stuff right in through their feet. Um, and it's be, from a complete lack of understanding and awareness. So the contamination down in this area, I think it, it has the potential to be painted over. But, man, if they're going to start digging and look at the breakdown constituents and whether they float in water, whether they sink in water, or whether they're aqueous, which you've got a real right. big problem. But, you know. Yeah, which is a, which is a perfect segue um, into Sharice's last visit to East Palestine. She was actually in East Palestine the day before and, and yesterday and traveled back to her home to be ready for this radio broadcast. But I'm going to let Sharice just talk a little bit about um, how she talked to some of the residents a year plus later, what they're still dealing with, and what she found, exactly what you were talking about, Dave, uh, what she found still in these stream beds and these waterways. Yeah, there's a woman in uh, chat right now who's from Ground Zero down there. Uh, says she's got a grandson uh, with, with chronic cough and nosebleeds and things like that. Go ahead, Sharice. Well, um, I, I, I'm reading that comment as well, and that's actually a, a very common thing uh, in East Palestine. So last year when we first arrived there, um, it was the most surreal feeling because you could smell these chemicals miles and miles away uh, last year when this all first happened. And um, it was it was so intense, it would make your throat close, your eyes burn, your face burn, your lips burn, your mouth burn. Uh, you had this disgusting taste in your mouth, um, and you could feel it sitting on your skin. Um, and uh, I know last year I experienced a lot of issues. I ended up, I was poking around in the creek. I ended up with an eye infection. Uh, I was always sick for days when I came home. I had issues with, um, like, menstrual issues uh, as far as, and I know I'm not the only one, a lot of these residents were experiencing rashes, chemical burns, dizziness, upset stomachs. Um, and as the year has gone on, uh, these folks are still experiencing these symptoms. They're finding that they're getting sick more often. They've had more bloody noses than normal. Uh, some people have, have not noticed as much um, in recent times. But, for example, uh, one of our other board members, Kayla, she lives in Nagley. And uh, when I went to go visit her these past few days, one of the things we did was drive through Ground Zero now that the now that Taggart Street is open. And we drove right through. I was filming. I showed all the tanks and uh, the water holding and where they're digging up uh, from the original derailment and relaying those tracks because that's part of the problem, too. They left a lot of that contamination for it to leach into the soil. Um, and the, the creeks are still contaminated. So when we went to the park, uh, there's the creek runs right along the East Palestine Park where these people's kids play. And as I was filming, you can see all these uh, white, foamy pieces still forming in the creeks and floating downriver. And as I was standing there, uh, it was feeling like I was getting a, a chemical face peel and my throat started closing up, my eyes started burning, I started tasting it. Interestingly enough, uh, Kayla, who had been there, the obviously, the, the first night 
uh, of the derailment when they had the burn. She said that standing at the creek uh, just two days ago was the first time uh, she had actually tasted it and had some serious effects uh, within a year. Now, she also um, has been, like what she said, when she does travel through that area, she usually leaves her windows closed and that kind of thing. She hasn't been going out to be exposed to it per se. But these folks are living, a lot of these houses are right along the creek. This creek goes underneath their, um, their administrative building for the town. It does go underneath people's homes. So these, um, when we talk about this acid and everything that's formed when this stuff hits the water, this is all leaching into these people's homes and their basements and everywhere else. So these symptoms are, are constantly appearing and reappearing and disappearing, uh, and it's a constant battle on and off with the doctors uh, for some of these folks with um, skin conditions, like I said, burns. Uh, we do have uh, a short video we put together, and I had compiled some of those photos to show what's actually happening to these people. And again, a year later, my throat's still closing up. Uh, I had actually, you could hear during my live as my voice started going away because of the chemicals being so strong. Um, but they're telling these people that their, their water is fine, uh, that it is perfectly safe for them uh, to live there and let their kids play in this stuff. And I can tell you, uh, I would never in a million years go in there myself, let alone let my children in that stay, water. Stay with us, you guys. We go to the top of the hour coming up, and we'll pick up right on the other side. Uh, for the listeners out there, hit that share button and stay tuned. This is Red Pill Politics. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network, and we'll be right back after the top of the hour. media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? 
Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 